You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 74. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for women like me who are balancing a career they love with being a mom. As we approach the fall season, Jamie and I are both super busy preparing for new sessions of our early childhood music classes. Since this topic is top of mind for us right now, we thought we'd take this opportunity to do a deep dive into our role as early childhood music class instructors. In this episode, we talk about what led us to providing these classes, the evolution of them within our business, how we've grown enrollment over the years, and how we handle the tough issues that come up. As you can imagine, we have a whole lot to say on this topic. So Jamie, if your August is anything like mine, you get to the end of the month and all of a sudden it's go mode for getting ready for fall classes. Is that true with you and your business as well? 100%. That is that is what we're living in is everything kicking off in September. We have some stuff that starts immediately next week after Labor Day and then um, the bulk of our classes start two weeks later, but it is, it is go time for all of the programming. Yes, it is. It's exciting. And having done it for so many years, I feel like we've kind of gotten it down into a groove. So we know what we're doing finally. Yes, thankfully. (laughs) Yeah, but it's still pretty overwhelming just because there's so much happening. And one of the best things that I think we've done, and it sounds like you've done the same thing, is to push that start date back a little bit so that you're not getting into every program right after Labor Day. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's actually one of the things that we get the best feedback on too for our early childhood classes specifically is that parents can get into the swing of school. Um, They're able to get past that first holiday of Labor Day. And, you know, even around here, like dance classes start right away and art classes start a week later and then music for whatever reason, we're like the third thing to start. But I really feel like it helps not only for the families to get adjusted to their schedule, but for me to get adjusted to the schedule. We need a little bit of tapering in for that for sure. Yeah, it is nice to have that little bit of buffer time, and I'm especially realizing that now as a first-time school parent is that there are so many school things happening in these first couple of weeks, and I'm so new to all of that that I need to get into the swing of the school year when it comes to my son and his kindergarten class and all of that. So having that extra time to kind of prepare myself mentally and in terms of class materials for all of my classes to begin has been really super nice. Yeah. So we'll talk more about about the specifics and kind of where we're at with classes at this point, but let's throw it way back to when we first started teaching early childhood music classes. So let's start with you. Yeah. So um, – I opened in 2006 in general, and I had always loved early childhood music, but um, I was a music therapist. So I think I had this like uh, conflict in my heart with like, well, but I'm not a music educator. I decided not to go to school for music education, and that seems to be something that you do if you're a music education major. They are the ones that teach early childhood music. So I kind of... Uh, just kind of tiptoed around it and I was just working on doing music therapy stuff first and getting things off the ground but I found really really soon uh, a couple years in that um, people were looking for that they were looking for classes that were for younger children that were possibly inclusive uh, for kids with special needs and kids without special needs and so I started advertising one that was for special needs in 2008, and I had parents that were friends of mine that were like, well, if you're going to do an early childhood class, I want my child to come to it. They don't have special needs, though. Would they be able to? And I was like, well, why am I trying to be one or the other? Um, because I don't feel like there is really a niche in our area that was for for every child, because really every child birth through age five are working on those same things. They're working on, um, obviously just communication and social skill 
skills and self-expression and just trying to learn how to be a little person. Um, so what does it matter if they have special needs or don't have special needs? So I kind of changed my thinking entirely um, a couple years in and started trying to do my hand at uh, early childhood classes, which I loved. I loved when I got to do um, that in college. It was one of my favorite things, one of my favorite classes that I took. Um, and so I, in 2008, had nine or 10 kids enrolled in a couple classes, and I was trying to do like 30-minute classes. I just couldn't quite figure it out. Um you know, do you do 30 minutes? Do you 45 minutes? I was just, like I said, tiptoeing into it. Um, but I feel like right around 2011, which is when I had Aiden, um, and there were more children, uh, that, you know, my friends that were having children that were interested in it. And so I bumped it up and I started doing 45 minute classes because I thought 30 minutes didn't seem right. And, um, I had seven kids in one class. And um, as it progressed through that, from 2011 to 2013, then I had 25 kids and I was teaching three early childhood classes. And I realized as it progressed that... Um, that like I, I knew what I was doing. Like this is absolutely something that was working and that I loved and that the kids were getting allowed out of. Uh, in between 2013 and 14, my, my class sizes doubled. So I went from having 25 to 50 kids. Um, and at that point, I was running seven classes, all taught by me at different points um, of, throughout the week. And uh, fast forward to um, like right now in this fall, um, we have th two and a half weeks left for enrollment, and I have 76 children enrolled across 11 classes. So, and now I don't teach them all. <laughs> Thankfully, there are other people that teach them. And these are all our, what we call our Harmony Garden Sprouts classes. So this is all of our early childhood programming that takes place on site here at Harmony Garden. And they are fully inclusive classes that have kind of evolved. Parents feel comfortable bringing their children with special needs and bring, feel comfortable bringing their children without special needs. Um, and it has just been a wonderful thing to watch evolve and grow over time and know that um, that we're giving a product to the area that we live in that families um, are craving and looking for and wanting for their children. So that kind of shows this progression for me from the last 12 years, how things have grown and changed. So I'm interested to hear how yours have grown and changed. I love hearing these stories of how different music therapists and teachers have kind of found their place and found the right fit for them in terms of the types of services that they're offering, especially when it comes to early childhood. Because like you, I sort of had that same mentality early on where I thought, well, music therapy is over here. Early childhood classes are over here. There is no crossover. It's something completely different. Even though when I was in grad school, I actually did a practicum placement at Kinder Music. So I knew that there, there was the possibility there of using my music therapy skills in that setting, but I didn't consider it music therapy. I didn't consider it under the umbrella of what my specific training was for. And that's why when I was approached by my church back when I was just starting my graduate program in music therapy, this was in 2006, they asked me to take over the early childhood music program there. And I said, okay, yeah, that sounds great. It was on the weekends. I was coming home on the weekends anyway because my husband or my boyfriend at the time lived at home and was working here. So I took it on as just a way to earn some extra income. Obviously, I wasn't working full-time while I was in grad school, so I thought it would be a good way to kind of get some hands-on experience working with kids while I was in the area anyway. So I, I started doing these classes every Saturday. I would do them and they were so much fun. I had a blast with these kids. It was um, kids ages zero to four and I really hadn't had a lot of experience working with young children. 
I had every intention of working with older adults in my music therapy practice once hmm. I became board certified. That's, so that's it. Unexpected for me to hear. <laughs> that's funny. yes. That's <laughs> people are always surprised when they hear that. They're like, yeah. "You really?" I like that. But it's true. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's absolutely true. So I thought, oh well, you know, working with kids isn't going to be super beneficial to me later. But you know, it's it's experience, so I'll take it. And the more I did these classes, the more I just kind of fell in love with them. And as I got into the end of my grad program, my one of my professors said, you know, you really ought to consider working with kids. I've observed you in all of these different practicum settings, and it really seems like you thrive when you're working with kids. And I'm just thinking, what are you talking about? Like, no way. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that she was right. And so I ended up doing my internship uh, at a private practice where I was working primarily with children. And throughout this entire time, I was doing these early childhood classes at my church. And I continued to do them through the internship. After I graduated, got my first job as a music therapist, still was doing these classes every weekend. And they just continued to grow and grow and grow to the point where I would have maybe 30 families that would come wow. and attend these classes. Now, yeah. the cl- the program was hosted by my church, and it was a free program for families throughout the entire community. So it was a mix of church members and then their friends that they would invite. And then word just kind of spread, and people would just email me and ask for details about the class, and they would just come, and they grew which was really exciting. It showed me that, okay, I'm in the right place. I'm doing something that's meaningful and that people are enjoying and that the kids are getting a lot out of. And so as I'm continuing to do this, at this point now, I'm working full-time in my private practice and I am getting ready to have a baby. So this was, let's see, the winter of 2012. And I was about six months pregnant And it kind of hit me that, okay, I'm going to be out like off of work for maternity leave for the next, you know, three months when summer hits. And I'm not going to have that income coming in because at the time it was just me. I was a solo practitioner with a private practice. And so I thought, well, my early childhood classes are going so amazingly at the church. Surely I can find a way to offer these and have people pay me to do them. At the time with the church, I was getting paid by the church, but right. it was not a significant amount. And and that was fine with me. I was fine with that. But I thought, you know, I can take this to the next level and offer it as a program that I create from the ground up. And we'll just kind of use it as an experiment because I'm pregnant. I'd love the extra income to save for my maternity leave. So we'll give it a try. And I... <laughs> I sent out the email the day that I had the classes ready to go and ready to for people to register. I was expecting, you know, the class to be full within an hour. And I got maybe one sign up that yeah. first day. <laughs> oh, and that was just like a knife to the heart because here I am thinking, oh, I'm so good at this. This is something that's so needed in the community. I offered it during a morning so that um, moms could bring their kids during the day and crickets. It was crazy. And it was really defeating. I was I was pretty upset about it. Now, as the week went on, I continued to spread the word and market the classes. And eventually, I did fill up the class. And so that was really exciting. And at the time, I was paying the facility a ridiculous amount of money for the use of their space because my private practice was home-based at the time. So I didn't have a, a big group space. So really, all of my profits went into um, paying the facility, and I didn't have a whole lot left after that. But it was a good experiment because it showed that I could make it happen. And so I ran the classes. The classes were a lot of fun. There was a lot more pressure than there had ever been with doing the classes at church. But it was an enjoyable experience. And then... I had my baby and that kind of took over my life. So I ended up tabling the classes for the next year. And it wasn't until my business partner, Katie Camerad, came on and joined me 
in the summer of 2014, so it was a little over a year later, that we decided to reboot the classes. At that point, we had a space that we could use, a space of our own, so it was included in what we were paying anyway. So we thought we might as well make use of of this big group space that we had. And to my surprise, the classes filled up immediately. We offered two sections. I taught the morning section of, I think it was zero to 18 months. And then Katie's class came right after mine, and that was 18 months to age three, I'm pretty sure. And that was an exciting progression for our business because we knew that we could together make make it even bigger and better. And that's exactly what we did. As time went on, we added some evening classes to the point where we were both teaching. I was teaching the morning classes. She was teaching the evening classes. And it really exploded the following year when we moved into our current space. We took those two or no, at that point, I think it was three classes that we were offering. And we then increased it to four classes. And we were maxing out to the point where I think my Tuesday morning class, I the very first fall session we did, I think I had... 16 families and many of those families had multiple children oh my goodness yeah Yeah. and I think (laughs) I think I was a little overexcited and you know I didn't cap (laughs) the the number at at you know a lower number that it should have been but it was really exciting to see that growth it was like we talked about in the last episode one of those if you build it they will come type Mm -hmm. situations where that was a big reason we chose the location that we did because it did have this wonderful group space and family atmosphere that we thought really served these early childhood classes and population super well so from that point we took those four classes we increased to now we have six sections of the early childhood, which is the zero to three. I teach four of those. I teach two on Tuesday morning, two on Wednesday morning, and then we have two evening sections of that same class. And then we ended up branching into the preschool age group. So now we have listen and learn a little more. So the early childhood classes are listen and learn for little ones. And then the preschool is listen and learn a little more. That's three to five. And then we just recently added an early elementary class called Listen and Learn into Lessons, and that's for kids ages four to seven. So at this point, we have in total, let's see, I'm going to count it up in my head really quick, um, six, seven, eight, ten class sections at one time, and we try to cap them at about ten. Yeah. So... We typically have anywhere between mm, 85 or so to 100 kids enrolled at any given time. And where it used to be a little bit of a struggle to get those classes filled up, and I used to get that anxiety, and I'm sure that you can relate to this where you're like, okay, come on, sign up, sign up, sign up, (laughs) get these classes filled. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want families to come and be like, oh, there's only – like three, three families in this yeah. class. Right. <laughs> you want it to feel like a, a, a good full experience but not too full because you don't want it to be so overwhelming yes. that you can't give that personalized attention. But at this point, we we do fill up those classes every session and it's – I think the the bread and butter of what I personally do. This It's so funny to see that progression where I once thought, oh, early childhood, that's not music therapy – but yeah. now that's kind of where my special skill set is, I feel. And it brings so much value to our business. I love the clientele that comes through our doors because of this program. And yeah, it's just kind of funny to see the way that life comes full circle. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and I went through that too. Like, how many is too many and how many is not enough when it comes to your class numbers? And I remember um, I've run classes where Aiden was one of the kids in the class. And then, you know, kids were out or whatever. And then there was just one other kid that showed up to class. So I was doing a class for Aiden and one other child, you know, and it's like, those were accidental due to, you know, um, kids being sick or on vacation or whatever. But um, our space here, our max capacity that's really comfortable is about um, 10 families or 10 kids, I should say. Um, 
so we try to max our room at 10 kids. I can occasionally squeeze in 11 or 12 kids if it's a bunch of families that have more than one um, and they're not, you know, and there's a different dynamic between morning classes and night classes because morning classes tend to only have one mom or grandma or dad who comes in night classes you'll get an entire family like grandparents and stuff too that sometimes want to come and sit and do music with their kids um so just have to be really conscious and aware of like your room comfortableness for the families to be sitting on the floor and for the kids to be dancing around and and everything so that's always been an interesting progression to to think about you know, what was too many, what was not enough uh, to get our classes. We try to make sure that now um, classes have, we say, six to ten kids in them to run. Uh, and I start saying a class is full around eight. So sometimes, like, don't tell everybody in the world, but on occasion I'll say a class is full at eight kids because that is a comfortable number and enrollment might be at four in a couple of their classes. And I just need to push the next few people to go into a different class. Um, and then I will open it up because the platform that we have for enrollment, um, I can open up one space at a time. So on occasion I'm able then to like pop an extra opening if I know that like reading towards the end and I can, I can flex it out a little bit. On the visual end for people signing up, they can see the countdown of number of spaces left. And I'm never like duping people <laughs> to try to get them into a class. I'm not doing that. Um, but I just am always trying to make sure that the classes have a comfortable number. You want anywhere from that like six to 10 or, you know, eight, whatever number of kids in those classes to make it comfortable for the teachers and the kids that are experiencing the classes. That is so true. I think there are so many factors to consider when you're kind of finding a good number for your classes and you hit on most of those. The one other that I would add to that is the time of day. Again, like you said, there's a big difference in who attends the classes from morning to evening, but then also the behavior and manner of the kids and the difference that you see between the morning classes to the afternoon and evening classes. Yeah. And this is something that I truly wasn't super aware of because I've always been like our morning teacher and Katie's handled the bulk of our evening classes. But I, when I filled in for her, I've seen, whoa, there is, <laughs> there is a big difference here. And even in my own kids, you know, I see the way that their demeanor goes from during the day to after a long, busy day of school, they're mm -hmm. exhausted, they're maybe hungry. And so that's something that we take into consideration too. We used to have just one preschool class and it was at 5.15 or maybe 4.45. It was after school. And that class would always max out and there would be a waiting list for it. But our teacher, one of my other music therapists, she would say, you know, I love the class. The kids are so great but it is so much and it is challenging. <laughs> and that's why we added a morning preschool class too so that we could kind of split it up and some of those kids could hop over into our morning class and it's been a little less overwhelming. Uh, but we do try to cap that class more towards seven or eight just because when you get 10 preschoolers into a room together, that's that can be hard. Yeah, and overwhelming for anybody. You know what's interesting is you're mentioning mentioning um, your different classes that you have the preschool and then your more infant class and uh, toddler classes. I used to do that. I used to have because um, we're Harmony Gardens, so I did the seedlings, the saplings, and the blossoms. Those were our different early childhood groups based by their age. Um, but I had the issue of siblings, like a two-year-old sibling that wanted to come with their four-year-old sibling and the parents asking me questions on like, well, can I bring two kids to the class if their ages are different? And it got to a point, and again, this was when my enrollment numbers weren't as high as they are now, um, that I just was like, you know what? I'm going to get rid of that. I just offer straight early childhood classes that are for birth through five years old. And I don't separate them out. So um, some classes still 
end up gravitating one way or another. Um, and if for some reason there's one lone four-year-old or five-year-old in with a bunch of two-year-olds, I do call that parent and say, I just want to let you know how enrollment shook out this time. This class might be a little bit better fit for his age. However, like you are absolutely welcome to be the, the lone older peer that is in this class. Like I do not care one one tiny bit, but I want to make sure that you are okay with the way that the enrollment has happened. And on the flip of it, when you have like one little one in a class of kids that are going to be running all over the place. Um, but I've found that that has worked a million times better for me and that naturally for some reason, the classes still have a nice mix, but I was having too much of a difficult time picking the times and picking the ages and then getting the enrollments that I needed to for those classes and then still having the families be comfortable with what my sibling, you know, this sibling's this age and they can't fit in that class and like, what do I do with that? Um, So I did completely abandon the splitting of classes probably three years ago, four years ago. And I've toyed with going back and I don't think I will. No one has been unhappy. And so we just have straight early childhood classes, period. Period. Yes, to everything that you just said, times 10. <laughs> we definitely found ourselves in the same boat where originally, like I said earlier, we we separated them out by 0 to 18 months and then 18 months to 36 months. And that was so tricky because we were like thinking, okay, this ki- this age of kid takes a nap at this time, mm-hmm. this age, you know, may take a later nap. So we're trying to like get into these parents' heads and figure out when the best time to offer these classes would be. And then, of course, the sibling issue because so many parents that are home during the day have multiple kids Mm -hmm. and they don't want to just bring one kid and like find a sitter for the other one. That doesn't work. So once we really got into offering the classes on a regular basis, we basically said, okay, our early childhood class is zero to three, but we're very flexible on age, especially for siblings. So for example, we just wrapped up a year and a summer of classes where I had a five-year-old sibling attending our early childhood zero to three class because her three-year-old sister and her under one-year-old brother were attending that same class. And so we do have those ages on the classes, but We always make it very clear to parents that we are flexible. We want this to work for you. We want it to be something that's inclusive for your family and not something that's exclusive. Mm -hmm. And really the only reason that we added the three to five class and that class is basically the same content as the early childhood class. We, We may make some tweaks depending on the age of the kids that attend, but we really did that because we did see a need for kids that were a little bit older that needed to have some independence without their parents there. So we do have plenty of three-year-olds and even four-year-olds and five-year-olds that come to our younger classes. And those, I think, are so much fun. And I think there's so much value to having that mix of ages in those classes. The older kids serve as models for the younger ones. They help out. They help pass out instruments and collect instruments. They're a huge help to me. I love having older kids in those classes. And then the little ones look up to those kids and they want to try to do the same things that they're doing, which can work both ways, I guess I should say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I think it's so interesting how, I don't know, the classes just always seem to kind of work out. Like over the summer, I had one Wednesday morning class and again, it was a zero to three class, but all of the kids just happened to fall right around like the 12 to 18 month range. And Mm -hmm. there wasn't like a big outlier in that class. But you know, when there is, it's not a big deal. I no. I do try to do the same as you where I kind of give the parent a heads up. But for the most part, everybody's happy. Um, most of the songs that we do, I choose or I create them to cater to that large age range and so that they can be adapted in many different ways depending on the needs or, you know, if I want to challenge the kids a bit, there's so much that you can do just with a with a song to um, to bring it to the level of the kids in the class. Yeah. So I wondered about your classes, and I feel like I've looked at your programming, but not necessarily recently. How long are your, like, sessions of class? Because 
for for us, we kind of separated them out so that we run by season. So we have our, you know, we're launching our fall session, which is September to December. And then we'll have our winter one, which is, you know, January to March ish April and then we have our spring which butts right up to that one so it starts right away in April and goes to the end of May and then we run our summer one which is kind of like June July August um so I I feel like I I know that you do yours a little bit different but maybe not so I guess I wanted to ask how you run your sessions as far as um enrollment for classes yeah, this is something that we've experimented with quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I when I first started teaching the early childhood classes at my church, the way that the old instructor had done it was she did two 10-week sessions, so one in the fall and then one in the spring. And those 10 weeks when you're working with young children and when you're using basically the same curriculum for the whole session – just seems to drag on forever. And by the 10th session, I was so sick of those songs and I could tell that the families were. So we kept that 10 session structure for the first year until I really felt comfortable with being like, okay, I'm going to make some changes here because this just isn't working. So I, I asked for feedback from those families and I asked, you know, what would a good range of weeks be for your family? What works for you? At what point do you you start getting bored or is it too big of a commitment to come to these classes regularly? And the number that they landed on was about five weeks per session. So I started doing five-week sessions with a couple weeks in between. And that seemed to work really, really well. And we stuck with that throughout the entire many more years that I taught those classes. And that's kind of where we started with the Listen and Learn classes, Katie and I. But what we found was that with people paying for these classes, unlike the church classes, five weeks was a little bit too long of a commitment for a lot of them. And also the materials, we just felt like weren't as fresh towards the end of that session. So we cut it down to four weeks and we've been really, really happy with that. And what we do is... When we plan for the year, we look at the entire school year and we start mid-September. We go four weeks. We put one week in between, another four weeks. And then, you know, depending on um, Thanksgiving and then like the winter holidays, we may have to do two weeks in between. But we typically fit in about six or seven sessions from September to May. Then the way that we do our registration is that families can register for a one-off session so they can go to our website and sign up for like the early fall session. Or they can purchase an all-access class pass, which is something we started doing two years ago. And this is basically a way to register for the entire school year all at once. And you save, if you're a single child family, you save about the cost of one class session. But if you have multiple kids, because multiple kid family is more than a single child family, you end up saving a whole lot. And that we found works out really well because that way we're filling up the bulk of our classes. So we're getting a really nice base in each of our eight uh, preschool and early childhood classes. But then there are still spots for those families that want to register for a one-off class for each session. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's worked out really nicely. And then families that have a little kiddo that want to come to the early childhood classes, but then maybe have a preschooler that wants to come to an evening class, they can do that with the all-access class pass. So it's also a nice way to bulk up our income at the end of the summer and going into the school year. So it's worked out really well, and it's definitely something that uh, I think serves our families too. So with your doing a four-week session, um, do you feel like you're constantly doing enrollment then? Like starting in September, do you feel like you're always enrolling every single month all the way through the whole entire year? Do you feel like enrollment never ends? I really don't because at the beginning of the school year, I set up registration for the whole year. So you can either register for the all-access pass or you can choose your individual session that you want. 
And a lot of people will opt not to do the all-access pass because maybe they know that there are a couple sessions here and there that they can't attend. Mm-hmm. But they'll they'll continue to register from session to session for the most part. Honestly, at this point, we don't really have that issue. I'll put out an email to our list uh, about a week before each session saying, hey, registration is open. We still have a few spots left in our you know, maybe late winter class. Mm-hmm. And it's really, that's really it. Maybe an email and a couple Facebook posts, maybe an Instagram post just to kind of remind people, oh yeah, we need to register for class. So at the beginning, heck yes, I did feel so overwhelmed, especially when it was such a major issue trying to fill all these classes. And I was exhausted and I like dreaded every single beginning of the session because I knew that I was going to be killing myself to market and get people to come. And I didn't want to be annoying posting on Facebook so much and emailing people so much. But now it's to the point where people just know that we have these classes happening throughout the year. They come to our website. People tell their friends about our classes. So it really hasn't been an issue um, in the last couple of years, which is nice. Yeah. What about you with with doing the seasonal? Yeah. So I definitely – I tried what you kind of have set up a little bit. I I did more like, you know, let's do a four and a six week depending on how many weeks fall between, you know – um, the beginning of the school year and Christmas. And then, you know, like you said, Thanksgiving and stuff. So I would try to break them up into smaller sessions to then, you know, parents look at it and they don't think it looks as expensive if it's in a four week session versus, you know, four and six versus a what, 10 week session, you know? So, um, it's kind of, it's same amount of money if they do one or both. And so I, I used to do like, okay, you can sign up for four. And then after four weeks, I was going, so how many of you are going to stay for the six coming up? And I just felt like I was constantly, even though, you know, a lot of it took care of itself because there is online enrollment and, um, but I was always having to re-push, go back out and do another email blast and do another. So, um, I don't remember, it was probably about two years ago, I kind of did away with all the mini sessions and went to seasonal. Um, so our um, summer, or our, not our summer, what are we going into? Fall. Our fall session right now, um, it worked out to be 11 weeks, which I've never done an odd number. <laughs> I had a really hard time with the 11 just on a personal note. I wanted it to be 12. But I really, um, with Thanksgiving and then not going too close to Christmas, I just did a solid 11-week session. They sign up for 11 weeks. Um, and it's not, I don't have to think about it again until December when I'm enrolling for January. Um, and I mean, they're enrolling, they're enrolling this time around, um, with zero paid advertisements. This was all completely done with Facebook and, um, and email. Uh, so like word of mouth has definitely gotten to the point where, um, it needs to be for our programs to kind of just flourish. Uh, The only reason I don't do, I used to do, you know, winter, spring would be like three different sessions, maybe six, six, and six. It's a long time between January and the end of May. Like there's a lot of weeks there to cover. Um, And so I try to do the winter one is a little bit shorter um, because I feel like families are always nervous that their kids are going to get sick. So winter session always tends to be smaller enrollment. It picks back up in spring and then summer is just a kind of a gamble because of people going on vacation and stuff. That one's always a little bit less, but it's still very consistent. Um, but I really feel like I, I personally don't want to do enrollment more than four times a year. <laughs> I just, I don't want to mess with those numbers. I don't want to ha- have to recreate class rosters. I don't want to monitor and stress about who's enrolling and this class doesn't have enough now. This session, it had 10 in this, in the first four weeks, but now it only has four in the second. Like, what do I do with that? Like, so, um, I just got rid of that entirely a couple years ago. And I've, again, I've been really, really happy with the results. I do tell parents like you can do a payment plan. Like, please don't be frightened by this three digit cost (laughs) for this enrollment because 
I want you to know that I am flexible with payment plans. I will work something out with you if you need to pay it in two installments or monthly. Like, I will work that out with you on a one-to-one, case-by-case basis. Um, And I also should say that it was, like, game-changing when I linked PayPal to it. So, like, going from having to have people fill out a paper enrollment form to doing the online form that's a platform that I use now that then was able to accept PayPal payments. It was like all of a sudden I think that moms like me that are late at night scrolling through their email and going, oh, I really wanted to sign up my kid for art class. Like that's me, right? So I would then get online, I'd log in and I could just say, oh yeah, PayPal, send it. Good. Online, done, boom. And that made a big difference when I realized that that made it easier for me. When I changed that over for Harmony Garden, I feel like that made a big change in our enrollment too. Just setting those um, easy accessed payments and stuff in place. But um, honestly, I, I got I got so bogged down with the like month to month or six week enrollment that I just I had to do something to change it and get rid of it because I was just too tired with the way that that was working. Um, me just feeling like I was constantly doing enrollment. So I did change it. And I, I like the way it works now. So but I you like you. It's just interesting to hear you say how it works so well for you and then knowing what works well for me and that there's not like this one method that's going to be perfect for anybody who wants to just up and run with an early childhood program. Um, But maybe by listening to us talk through our processes, they can find exactly what might work for them. Yeah, I think you're so right about that. I think that every business is going to look a little bit different in terms of the best fit for them. And I think, again, having that all-access class pass base in each class, we copy and paste our enrollment rosters from session to session so that we're not, you know, recreating the wheel every time because some a lot of those people will just be copied and pasted onto the next. Yeah. And the nice thing that I do like about having that enrollment throughout the year is that we then do have kind of those little boosts in income every, you know, six weeks or so. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So that's that's a nice part of it. And then the other part of it is that with my business, we've kind of split up the duties. So before, I was like you, where I was the one creating the forms, which we all know is very tedious work. And then I was the one doing all the marketing. And then I was the one taking the registration forms and creating the rosters. And – Every single piece of that I had my hand in. Now, I will say that I still have my hand in almost all of that, but one of the big things that we delegated to our studio manager that I talked about in a previous episode is the registrations come in to our email so I can see them, but then she also gets a copy and she adds them to the official roster. So I'm not doing that tedious typing copy-paste work, which to me – That was like the most annoying part of the process. (laughs) I think it was because I had all of the other stuff on top of it. But she likes doing that kind of stuff. So she takes that little piece and the rest of it I handle. And so that makes it a little bit less of a burden on me as far as uh, so many registrations go throughout the year. You know, it is definitely um, a budget thing. So, you know, I'm watching my classes just – the income from the upcoming classes that start in two weeks, like, wow, like PayPal's like got all kinds of action, right? But I do know, and I've been doing this long enough, that that has to go across for the next four months. So, you know, there is definitely, for me, um, and for anybody doing this, make sure that if you if you do it like me and you have this boost that comes in August, September, but it has to last you all the way through December that you don't do anything weird in your finances. Like I budget that out and have to make sh- make uh, sure I account for that so that it covers all those months for paying employees and paying overhead and paying whatever needs to be paid um, because I we don't see that little boost um, like you were mentioning every four weeks when you have new enrollment for some people that are adding and jumping in. So I had a a thing that came up, we had to have a major policy change because of the increase in numbers for our classes. And so I'm going to tell you what my major policy change was. And I wonder if you have this issue or you might not at all because of the way that you structure your program. Obviously, if we cancel a class, 
it's built in to make up at the end of the session. Plus there's enough of us here that can sub that it's never really been an issue. However, when families miss a class, I used to just say, that's okay. We have this list of classes that are not at capacity. You can just bop around and make up your absences in any of those other classes, which worked okay when you had like 45 kids enrolled in classes or less. Um, but when we hit into the like higher 50s to 60 kids enrolled in classes, it became unmanageable. So I I was running into problems with, I'd have two families that both wanted to come to this Tuesday 915 class, but it only actually had one spot for making up a class per week. And like, how do I, how do I manage that? How do I uh, not mess up and accidentally overbook a class so that there's like three extra people coming to this class that's now made it uncomfortable for the families who have enrolled and paid for that class um, or for the therapist who's running it to not have it be like unexpected, unexpectedly stressful. Um, so we tried a second thing where we had, okay, at the end of the session, we have this one special day that you can, we will run for you if you miss classes so that you can do a makeup. And, um, I, I wasn't overly happy with it. Plus how do you pick like a day and a time? Because it doesn't, you know, people that work on Wednesdays, they could never come to a Wednesday one or the parents that miss a night class that work during the day, they could never come to that. So how do you solve for that? So then, um, as of this fall for the first time ever, um, we are not allowing any makeups if the people miss period. And it's been nerve-wracking for me to announce and for me to uh, not apologize for. Like, I feel like I constantly want to say I'm so sorry to the families, but it's like, no, really, I cannot manage that. I cannot monitor who goes to what classes anymore. I can't, if a class cancels and you think that you're going to make it up in that class and you're not in that roster to get that cancellation, then you show up and you're upset. Like there's just too many factors in place for a program that got, for me, considerably larger than where it was when it started. And I had that policy in place. So I wondered if you've ever run into that or if you had a policy in place that was like, you know, you miss, I'm sorry. Or if because of the way that your enrollment changes with um, people doing smaller sessions, if you have flexibility in that, I just wondered if what you do for makeups, if your families miss or if you don't. Yeah. So we don't have a an official policy, but I want to say kudos to you for laying down the law on that. Oh, it was hard. I think that's <laughs> – oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, especially when you have precedent of letting people come to make up sessions. And that's a tricky thing, especially for families that sign up for one session and then they miss, you know, one or two classes. I will say that most of our families are very good about just missing the class. If it's, you know, their miss, then – that's their loss. And most of our families don't approach us wanting to make up those classes. Now we do have the families from time to time that will say, hey, you know, such and such was sick or we had this come up. Is there any other class this week that we could attend as a makeup? If not, no big deal. I just thought I'd ask. And up until this point, it really hasn't been an issue. Sometimes there's room and sometimes there there's not. And I'm just honest with them, and if there's not room, I'll just say, I'm so sorry. All of our classes are at capacity this session. Um, you know, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we don't have an official policy because I do like to extend that to people if it comes up, but only because it's such a rare occurrence. And if I was having that issue, like it sounds like you were so frequently, then yeah, I do think a policy is necessary because – Nobody can keep track of attendance to that point, especially if there are multiple teachers teaching the different classes and it just gets to be quite a headache. Yeah, it, it just, it did. That's exactly what it was. And I was thinking from a parent perspective, you know, I enroll my children in an art class and maybe it's because if you look at our roster of classes, there are like 12 to pick from. So why couldn't there be one of 12 that this family could go to? So we sign up for an art class and there's two. There's two for my child's age. And so obviously I'm not going to say, well, can I come to the other? There's two to pick from. I would never ask to make up if my daughter was sick for an art class. Um, but if you're looking and there's 12, like I guess 
maybe, maybe from a parent perspective, you'd say, well, I mean, there's just so many. I'm sure that one of those has space. <laughs> but, right. but I mean, when your programs are getting to the point where, you know, the numbers are just so high, it's just hard to, to do that balance. Um, I, and it was a weird switch to have to go to. We have like written policies that we give out at the first class now um, when they come and enroll because I just needed to be very clear with how that worked. Um, we also pair it with our, like, what parents should expect. So, like, giving the parents permission that, like, please don't expect your kid to sit in your lap. And please don't expect your kid to be not running around and exploring the cabinets. Like, you've got to, there are little children that are going to be all over the room. And so we kind of, like, pair it with this, like, kind of playful message to parents of, you know, don't be afraid of what your kid is doing in here. We will make sure that they're um, safe and appropriate and everything. Uh, but then we are like, so, but if you flip it over, here's our really strict policies <laughs> to try to balance it out, I guess. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that giving that reassurance to parents, especially the first time parents and parents of younger babies and toddlers who've never been to music class before, you always can spot them because they're <laughs> kind of nervous coming in. They kind of look around like, where should I sit? And then once their kid, you know, maybe gets a little bit excited and isn't necessarily doing what you're asking the child to do, you see that panic set in like, oh, no, no, no. But you always just kind of have to have that reminder like we – this is what this class is for. We want you to explore and be excited and yeah, that's normal. So I love that you have something in writing about that. I might have to borrow that one. Yeah, I can show it to you sometime. <laughs> awesome. Well, I feel like we could talk about this probably forever yeah. and go on and on about early childhood classes. But I think one thing that might be helpful for listeners is – if they kind of took a look at what our setup is on our website and that way they can get more ideas about how we run our classes, what the scheduling looks like, what the online form looks like. Um, with my classes, you can go to musictherapyconnections.org slash classes and everything is right there. And what about you, Jamie? Yeah, if you go to hgmusictherapy.com um, and you click on the Sprouts link, uh, either at the top of the page or there's a class link down um, below that will link directly to our current classes, um, you can see all of the things that we offer there and how the enrollment goes. And then it clicks through to our online enrollment. So you can play around, go click all the way through. You can pretend enroll somebody. Um, just don't go all the way through because then, you know, it tries to send you to PayPal. <laughs> Let's continue this conversation in the comments of the show notes page over at guitarsandgranolabars.com or you can email me rachel at listenlearnmusic.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Rachel Rambach and at Listen Learn Music. And you can also find Jamie there at HG Music Therapy. As always, I'm so grateful that you took some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share it with a friend and consider rating and reviewing the show in iTunes. We'll talk to you again soon on the next episode.